0: So, I bring greetings from Christchurch Equippers, uh, my wife Karen, uh, and my family, and a lot of friends who have been part of this church over various times. Um, in the old days, we had to use to bring photos of, you know, family and that, but these days we've got Facebook. Uh, so, most of you probably have more current photos of your family than I do, uh, my family than I do at the moment. So, uh, it's been really healing for me in the last few weeks. Uh, my wife and I left Dunedin eight years ago. Uh, my last sermon, I preached in this church as a member of this church. Uh, it was 10 minutes after a quarter-final loss at Twickenham to France. I tell you what, the uh, general expression on the face of people was quite different to this morning. I had not watched the game. I'd been in the church offices since 6 in the morning and been preparing myself and... Uh, my heart, but I, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll get to watch the replay later on, and then I'll find out what happens. But I remember two or three people's faces as they walked in the door, and I, I knew, number one, that we'd lost, and number two, that there'd been a bad decision made by the referee, because there was just this underlying anger that wasn't just equal with a loss, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's great to be back again. Uh, great to see the uh, just the how awesome the building's looking. It's uh, really awesome just driving up the road and going, wow, it looks nice. So uh, well done, and, and great to see students here. Uh, just a wee thing, students. I think it's awesome. Uh, I I don't talk about my exam study technique because it's not good practice. Uh, but one thing I did do well was I always put God first. Uh, and if you can get be in the house of God on the first day of the week, there's a principle in the Bible called first fruits. Uh, if the if the first is holy, then the rest is holy. Uh, and, and my study technique left me needing the rest of it to be holy. Uh, so I was always in church on the first day. I was there morning and night because, uh, uh, man, I needed God in my exams. Uh, honest testimony every exam I walked into, as I was walking away from my hall of residence or from my flat, I was like, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Uh, and I always ended as I was walking the door, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And amen. God is good. He is good. His knowledge extends beyond mine even, uh, which is, which is great because my knowledge and a lot of my papers rely more on his revelation than my knowledge or study technique. So yeah, great to be here. Uh, we're going to have some fun this morning. I was in two minds over what to speak on this morning and really just felt strongly impressed on the plane on the way down, uh, to bring a message. And, uh, uh that meant so I've kind of pushed my message I prepared to do for this morning, uh, to tonight, uh, So in case we don't have time to talk about tonight later on, tonight's going to be a a message under pressure uh, and how we respond to pressure and how pressure responds to us. I think it's one of the key determiners in whether you'll be promoted or you'll stay at the same level. So that's my advert for tonight. Come back tonight. 5pm, isn't it? Great. Equip is standard time. Uh, That'd be cool. Yeah, so I'm really honoured to be here. I want to honour your pastors, uh, Des and Will. Uh, Will's not here, but uh, I think uh, I really just honour the grace. One of the things you know as soon as Will, uh, uh, from my observation, as soon as he comes into a church, the church starts to look really tidy, and he does all the projects, and he does that. And that's a really awesome thing, Uh, just, just the way the church is presented. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Uh, so the outward appearance is important for people we're trying to reach. Uh, and, and Dez, I love Dez. I do all my wife shopping for clothes. Uh, I buy all her shoes. I buy all her outfits. Uh, probably about 80 to 90% of her wardrobe of things I've purchased for her. But I see Dez and she's an inspiration. Her shoe collection is, is amazing. So, uh, I think that's, that's, that's quite inspiring for me. Uh, it encourages me to take some risks when I buy for my wife and that sort of thing. So I want to put uh, a photo up. Uh, this is my my daughter Zoe. Uh, she is a non-Dunedin child. She's a true Cantabrian like myself. And now I know we we lost the Super 15. Uh but I'd like to say that we won the NPC. Yeah. Just just putting it out, oh, got a bit quiet then, didn't it? (laughs) No response. It's still a target, isn't it? It's great. Uh, This is my daughter Zoe. She's a three. Uh, She's the youngest of four. Uh, For those of you who know what youngest children of four are like, they think they rule the world. Uh, If you haven't heard from Zoe, you'll be hearing hearing from her soon. She'll be telling you what to do. Uh, But this is Zoe. She's got a rabbit onesie. Now, the reason she has a rabbit onesie uh, uh, is because... Uh, there's a storybook called To the Moon and Back, I think it is, or it could be called Nutbrain Here. Uh, but the whole thing is, is Big Nut brain Here and Little Nut brain Here in the bedtime, and they're talking about how much I love you. And Little Nutbrain Here says, I love you this high, and Big Nutbrain Here says, I love you this high. And the last line of the book is uh, Little Nutbrain Here grabs his, uh, his or her dad's ears and pulls them down close and says, I love you to the moon. And Big Nut brain Here goes, Oh, that's very far. And then Little Nut Brown here falls asleep, and just as Little Nut Brown here is falling asleep, Big Nut Brown here whispers, well, I love you to the moon and back. So that's my daughter. That's why she wants a pink uh, and white rabbit onesie. So if you want to go open the Bible today, uh, we're going to open the Word to Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, a very well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm a great believer, even when you know a passage, to open it, because I've been astounded how many times God has taken me back to school on something I thought I already knew. Uh, And that's the exciting thing about the Word of God. It's alive and active. Uh, it is not dead. It is, if you're into web design, it's a responsive design. It recognizes the platform you're operating from and it responds to that. If you're not a web person, that won't mean anything to you. How many people have got Hebrews twelve one, Reading from the NLT. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor besides God's throne. And you don't have to turn to this, but I just want to put a layer of this Leviticus 25, 18 If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations, then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. So Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you that it is alive and active. Lord, I thank you that it's sharper than a a two-edged sword. Uh, Lord, a twice-spoken word. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that it divides the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. So Lord, we ask... Uh, not just for your word to be anointed, because it always is, but Lord, we ask for our hearts to be open and our ears to be open to receive. Uh Lord, your son Jesus preached and people didn't listen to him, and and now one not as good as Jesus is here, uh, so we need more help uh, than them. So Lord, help us to be not only hearers of the word, but those who put it into practice in Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah, great. So I want to talk to you about this this, this thing. I believe it's a, it's a problem we all have. And if we could flick back to the photo of my daughter. I, I turned 37, uh, 1st of June this year. And, and for my birthday, my wife asked kids what they wanted to give me. Uh, and little Zoe, the only thing she wanted to give me was a big nut brown hair onesie. So for my birthday, my wife was, of course, very reluctant to do this because she knew how much I'd love it. I got a big nut brown hair onesie equipped with the head, the feet, the floppy ears, the pink love heart on the chest. Uh, And it fitted reasonably well except for my enormous feet, which still cramp up. Now, the first day of my 38th year, my three-year-old daughter came bursting into the room and looked at me a little bit disgusted and goes, You're not wearing it, Dad. And to be honest, I, I have a lot of man pride about not wearing onesies, and so I thought, well, no, I'm not going to wear it. Uh And to see her face in that moment, I realized I'd let my insecurity rob me of being a hero to my daughter. And so the next morning, sure enough, you know, quarter to seven, maybe might have been six, I don't know... Uh, Three-year-old Zoe runs in the room and I'm wearing the onesie and I've got it done up because I can hear it coming and it's too hot and it's horribly uncomfortable. I've slept the whole night with my feet cramped up in this thing, which means I can't sleep properly. If you've ever tried to have your feet in something that are too small, it's impossible to sleep like that. And I've sweated because it's way too hot and I've woken up. But in that one moment, I suddenly became my daughter's hero. But you see, I was insecure about wearing the onesie. In fact, if you come to my house, you won't see this onesie. It's always carefully hidden in the back of my closet, behind our safe, underneath my sleeping bag, which is always left unpuffed. Uh, I make careful uh, consideration to make sure the onesie is not lying around anywhere. Even if there's someone in my house, if I'm going away for a week, I make sure the onesie is tucked away because I'm insecure about wearing my onesie. Uh, I'm insecure about how people might view that, uh, particularly with the pink fluffy ears and the pink love heart on the chest. It just doesn't fit my general ensemble of fashion choice. But you see, I believe that insecurity is is one of these weights that the uh, writer of the book of Hebrews was talking about. And he says, uh, let us throw off the weights. But I believe it, it. If we leave it undealt with, it metastasizes into a disease uh, that is actually a sin. It may not start out as a sin, but over time, if we don't deal with insecurity, it leads us into the sins of unbelief and doubt and disobedience. Because it grows to this thing which overshadows the fear of God and, and outweighs. Uh, uh, the weight of obedience insecurity is something we all struggle with now you didn't get a chance to talk to your neighbour too much this morning during church so why don't you turn to your neighbour and tell them one thing you're insecure about now for you really insecure people who aren't talking I'll get you up the front to share if you're not talking to your neighbour at least you say wow great game today wasn't it Okay, did anyone have their neighbour kind of too insecure to say anything? Or oh, were they? No, let's not do that because it's unfair to the insecure people. We're all insecure. Did anyone feel like it was hard to share something in their moment? Yeah? And it's, it's a natural thing. It's a, a natural human response. I believe in the culture we live in in New Zealand that actually insecurity is almost part of our national identity. Like we're real confident that the All Blacks were going to win the World Cup until we found that Australia were in the final. And then we're kind of confident, kind of, uh, you know, like, oh, oh, man, this just feels like the Cricket World Cup, you know, New Zealand knocked out South Africa in a really tight game to get to the final, and Australia had an easy win to get through to the final, and oh, well, what if we lose? What if we have to endure four more years? You know, and I, see, I think insecurity is not something that we should beat ourselves up about, but it's something we need to be aware of. It's, a, it's something that if you don't deal with, will grow. Uh, it's like the weeds in the garden. I love to believe that the weeds in my garden would disappear. If I don't deal with them, they're not there. And it's true in one way because the weeds gradually turn into trees. <laughs> and I actually have a friend who helps me out of my garden to make my garden look good because I'm not good at dealing with those weeds. But the insecurity, the weeds of insecurity and in growing in your life, we all have points of insecurity. We all have things we are slightly insecure about. And we like my, like my onesie, we like to get them buried in the closet where no one sees them, because that would be a little bit too telling. It would make us a little bit too vulnerable. And in case you're thinking you're not insecure this morning, I just want to talk about three, three of many symptoms of insecurity. Three of many. This is not a definitive list. Number one, insecurity limits opportunity. You see, when you're dominated by insecurity, you'll shrink back when a moment of opportunity comes. When there's a moment to speak out and to step out in the, in the, in the crowd, oh my goodness, in the cloud, in the crowd, you'll shrink back. You know, if you think of uh, uh, the setting of David and Goliath, uh, David is there. He is the only man out of a whole nation, of uh, a whole national army who was not insecure. Everyone else has shrunk back. I believe the David and Goliath platform could have been the Saul and Goliath platform. It could have been something that propelled him to the next level, but the opportunity came and he shrank back because he was insecure. He didn't take the most of an opportunity. Number two, I believe that uh, the... the, the, the That insecurity, if left undealt with, uh, leads you to be controlling because you're afraid to be vulnerable. And so you'll control your environments that you're in so your insecurities aren't outed. The things that we're a bit worried about, we'll make sure no one sees. We'll make sure they're in the back of the closet when people come because, you know, the worst thing would be if everyone found out that I wasn't perfect, that I didn't have it all together. Because they all believe it about me, don't they? One of the things uh, I did when I was sharing this message with my church is I walked on stage with a completely black in our theatre, holding Zoe in her onesie. But what they couldn't see behind her is I was in my onesie. Now, I expected a social media storm after that. I thought Facebook on Monday because I was insecure. But actually, no one did. It was, it, was, it was amazing because sometimes our insecurity is huge to us. Not such a big deal to everyone else. But you see, we just try and control environment so people can't see what's going on. We, we, we don't want people to know, and so we start to manipulate even because we haven't dealt with an insecurity. And it's a dangerous thing. And the third symptom, or third of many, might I add, is insecurity is afraid of silence. On the personal conversations, insecurity can just talk too much. Talk all the time. I can keep talking because it doesn't want silence. It doesn't want questions. It wants to present, I've got it all together and I've got everything sorted out. And and because of that, it can block intimacy. So insecurity can can have actually completely opposing symptoms. When you're meant to speak out and meant to step forward, it can cause you to shrink back. But when you're meant to listen and be vulnerable that can keep you yabbering away because you don't want anyone really to get below that layer of what you present and you want to talk about things that you know lots about and not ask questions about things you don't know about i remember in fifth form science i had a great chemistry teacher his son now comes to our church and uh he was phenomenal at his thing and at his job but he would teach chemistry and every now and again i'd be like "Wow, wow i just don't get that you know, and you, know, you sit there, and you know, you're like, oh, man, everyone else has got a really good bluff face on. They're looking like they're getting what he's saying. And, and he's talk away. You know, how many people remember those moments at school? Insecurity limits us. It limits opportunity. It, control, it leads us to be controlling, and it, and it makes us afraid of silence among a myriad of other symptoms. Uh, does anyone here think maybe they don't struggle at all with insecurity? Too insecure to say. Okay. You see, I believe insecurity is something that we all we all have a, a walk with, and it's it's a disease of self. You see, because insecurity, undealt with, leads inevitably to a focus on me, myself, and I, and it leads to a focus on what I can do and what I don't think I can do. I remember a good friend that I made. I met her uh, in first year of university in the hall of residence, St Margaret's, and then uh, she came to church uh, with me, and, and we, we developed a long friendship. and Her name's was, was Linda Nicholson, is now Linda Carpenter, uh, and she um, she got told she was no good at sport when she was really young, and so she never really tried sport. And then you know, years passed on. We sat in Dunedin. She moved around, uh, did a few things. I. Got back to Christchurch, ended up playing as a ring-in for her volleyball team at Pioneer Stadium. And, and the Linda I remembered, and I've said this to her and it's okay for me to share it, but the Linda I remembered wasn't really any good. And then in her team, is like there's two Canterbury Rams players, there's all these athletes. And I was like, wow, how did Linda get here? And then I saw Linda play and she was really good. And you see, what had happened is somewhere along the line, she actually thought, man, I'd like to be good at this. And I'd, I'd like to try beyond my insecurity at not being good. And suddenly she's like, oh, I'm actually quite good at sport. I can actually do this. But you see, insecurity will stop you ever trying. Because the Kiwi saying is, if at first you don't succeed, remove all evidence that you attempted. That's, that's our mandate, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we don't post on Instagram and Facebook our failures. You know, if you looked at my Instagram feed, you'd think my kid's won player of the day every week because you don't get the post, Daniel bowled out first ball, <laughs> drop three catches. But you see, insecurity is insidious. It gets in there. It can get into little bits of you, but the, the danger is unchecked. It will, it will dominate. It will stop you fulfilling the call of God. It will stop you believing in God because you will believe more in your insecurity because of this disease of self. And when the moment of breakthrough comes, when Goliath, your Goliath, whatever pattern he or form he takes in your life, when he's there, you won't be. And you know, it'll be left to when you're the king or you're the head of the business or you're the head of the household, it'll be left to some 13-year-old upshot who actually has the audacity to believe. Believe. And it's God. And so I want to talk about three things that we can do to, to choke insecurity out, because I don't believe insecurity is like one of those ones where you just pray, oh, now I'm, I'm not insecure anymore. I'm believing it. it's something we've got to strangle out. I believe it's something we've, we've got to work on. It's, it's, some, it's something you've got to be, be kind of tenacious with, because it will try and it's a bit like Twitch. If you don't get all the roots out, it keeps on growing up elsewhere in the garden. And it's frustrating. I'm sounding like I'm a gardener this morning. That's a false impression. I'm not at all. Um, the first thing I believe we've got to do, you see, because it's, it's a disease of comparison, is share. What you did just before, share your insecurities. Now, I'm actually not advocating sharing with everyone. You know, I, I don't share all my insecurities with, with everyone on a Sunday. It's not an appropriate platform. You know, if you come to my house, you're not going to see the washing rack out with my, dirt, my, my, my clean undies drying on it. Because we don't show our laundry to our guests. But when you know people well, there's got to be somebody in your life. There has to be someone in your life where you're talking about the journey. Uh, the power of confession, of keeping things out in the open, not keeping the secrets with Satan, letting letting things uh, uh, not foster in the dark, but actually getting some light on the areas. Having someone who understands your vulnerabilities and your insecurities, sometimes you share them, and as you're speaking them out, you're like, well, that's actually not that big a deal, is it? This is a bit silly. I should just get over that. Other times, the power of sharing is a friend who's got your back, a, a mate, a loved one, who, who will champion you to rise up over that, who might even create environments for you to confront your insecurities. But if you don't share it, it's never dealt with. Getting it out in the open, I believe, is a great thing. To share your insecurity, to talk about it. You know the Bible was full of people who had stuff to be insecure about? Yeah, have you ever thought about Moses writing the Ten Commandments when he got to that you know that little small one thou shalt not kill? Can you imagine I'm kill, not kill? You 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 do know what I did, God. You know how I slipped and that guy accidentally tripped and he fell and it was awkward kind of my, my hammer was in the back of his head and it was just oh. He had a little bit to be insecure about. King David had a wee bit to be insecure about. David, the boy, before he was king, had a whole lot to be insecure about. If you ever think about it, when he faced Goliath, he had three brothers in the army. He was the eighth brother. Presumably the other brothers weren't old enough to fight in the army, so weren't over the age of 20. So how old is he when it comes to David and Goliath? 12? 13? I know some commentators would say 16, but it doesn't actually add up unless they had kids every nine months. Or twins, but insecure, you've got to talk about it to somebody. There's got to be an openness, you see, because that it breaks the power of insecurity. You, know, you can be insecure about a whole raft of things. I could talk all day about my insecurities, but it would leave me feeling depressed, and you as well. You'd be like, Why is this guy on the place? Flipping heck. The Apostle Paul, he had some stuff to be insecure about, he had some stuff in his past. You know, just a couple of little things like organising the systematic uh, persecution of the early church, the murder of the early church, involved in setting up the infrastructure at least that led to places where there was things like systematic rape, murder, separation of families, torture. You had a few things you could be insecure about. He had some physical things to be insecure about. He had a whole lot of things to be insecure about. He had scars, but he shared them with us. Number one, share your insecurities. Number two, avoid comparison. You see, insecurity uh, largely is a sin when it gets a hold of you of comparison. In Galatians 6.4, we're given this advice. Pay careful attention to your work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Comparison is a dangerous thing. You see, we have two modes of comparison. One is we compare to make ourselves feel better. So we always look for someone worse than us. Well, the sin and you know, the stuff I'm not doing in my life, someone's doing it worse. Well, at least I'm not a wallaby supporter. Yeah, we'll find someone who's doing it worse. Uh, it'll justify what's not happening in our lives. even if uh, Not even in areas of sin, but in the areas of just inadequacy or shortcoming or laziness. Oh, well, I'm not as bad as Homer Simpson, at least. Yeah, we'll, find, we'll do that, or else we do the other thing, and we always find someone to belittle ourselves, someone who's doing it better. Now, here's the thing. Comparison... Is a really interesting thing because you can compare yourself. You know, there's no one in this room who couldn't find someone who is slightly more out of shape or slightly more overweight or slightly more ugly than you. We could all find someone. So, awkward laughter, some of you are trying not to look sideways, you know, straight ahead. But at the same time, we could also find, all of us could find someone who's more good looking, more fit. More organized than us. Oh, no, I'm not the only one. Okay. You know, there's there's always someone who's doing it better. There's always someone who's got the better car. There's always someone who's doing it worse. There's there's someone who's had it a bit tougher. And comparison is unwise. Paul went to say this in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, sorry, 10 12. We do not. Dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You can see he's getting a bit worked up. There's so many of themselves. You guys, are like, what did he just say? I'll read it again. Second Corinthians ten twelve. Look it up later. We dare not. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. I think he was feeling a bit of emotion when he was writing this. Or he just got himself in this themselves circle. It's all self. You see, if you keep comparing, it is not wise. Because your comparison and my comparison, we're not called to the same race. Stick to your lane. I used to run, you know, in athletics. I've got a nephew now. He's just come number six in the world at the... Uh, uh, 400 meters in the para world championships uh he's 15 the next youngest contestant in the final uh was 10 years older than him um and he's 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 incredibly focused and he's doing so well but you know the about the only thing once you've started the race you can get disqualified for is not staying in your own lane okay you could be a drug cheat okay sorry there's two things But once you've started, if you haven't false started, and we've all started, the only thing that can disqualify is getting into someone else's lane. There is nothing worse than someone who's ruled by comparison, trying to be a a great copy of something or somebody else. You know, you can buy, you can buy copies of Van Gogh's and, and, uh, Uh, Monets and Manet's, you can buy copies that, you know, and to the untrained eye, and I'd venture to say to anybody's eye in this whole room, couldn't tell the difference for $20 in China. Paint by numbers, it's done systematically. You could buy, see, a copy has got no value. But man, you look at the original, some of them are selling right now, there's one sold recently for $147 Now, you know what? The interesting thing is the original has imperfections. That's how they know it was done by that particular master because of the wee quirky things that he or she did when they were painting. That's how they know it's authentic. But sometimes we spend so much time because of insecurity, we, we compare and we're like, oh, I wish I could be like them or, oh, what if I had her nose? Oh, man. I wish I had abs like anybody in the All Blacks, you know. It's not wise. It feeds your insecurity. Stay in your lane. Stay focused on what you are called to be and be the best original you you can be. Because you're not called to do what I do. You can be thankful for that. And I'm not called to do what you're called to. And I am thankful for that. Look, your comparison's such, a, such a, a natural thing. You know, parents tend to do it by mistake, with you know, because you've got siblings and you've got little kids and you line them up and go, oh, Debbie's not the same as Daniel and Daniel's better at this than Debbie and Debbie's better than that and then David. Uh, and then you've got three kids with, beginning with D, you have to have another letter in the alphabet because it just gets so confusing when you're tired. And then you've got Zoe and, oh, she's different and... It's real easy to be playing and replaying those comparisons from your parents. Things that weren't meant to be harm, weren't actually meant as a judgment. It's just, it was human nature. And you can be running, you can still be trying to prove yourself to your parents when your parents are dead. You can still be trying to prove yourself to your, your siblings when you're 55. If you haven't dealt with that comparison thing, you can still be trying to, oh, well, I need to get a, a, a better house or a better job, or a better car, or have my kids achieve more. And so then comparison drives you to be ugly dad on the sports sideline, not encouraging dad. You know, I've, I know where that boundary is. I've kind of looked over my shoulder a couple of times and thought, oh, it's behind me. I had to talk to the kids after and say, sorry. That was dad reliving his unmet all-black dream through you. comparison is not wise you know it, it actually the 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 sin of comparison is described in genesis as like it's crouching ready to jump on you there's there's two brothers uh, biblically implied to be twins one born before the other but if you look at the the language around it uh, Cain and Abel Cain brings a sacrifice and as when it came time when he got round to it he bought whatever he had it was of his, of his work. And Abel, it says, bought the, the firstborn, the, the, the spotless, the best. He bought it first and he bought it best. Cain doesn't say those two things. Cain is downfall and he's angry because God accepts Abel's offering. Listen to God's advice to him. Genesis 4, 6. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is Right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Cain's problem, which he did not deal with, was comparison. He wasn't angry in as much that, that God didn't accept his, but that God didn't accept his and did accept Abel's. That led him to murder. It led him to be discredited. He could have just learned and gone, okay, well, next time I'll bring my best and my first. And it would have been acceptable. It wasn't the fact that God was more carnivorous than, than her before. It was nothing to do with that. It was to do with the first and the best. If we go back to our original text in Hebrews Talking about these weights and the sin that so easily trips us, it says we do this. How do we, how do we throw these off? We strip these things off that weigh us and slow us down. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, number three, what we need to do in order to choke out insecurity, and this is three of many, but I think these are three good ones, is we need to learn how to praise. And this is where I'll delineate a difference between praise and worship. Praise praise is a declaration. Praise is a putting Jesus at the front. Praise is a sacrifice. Uh, praise costs something. I often like to think of it, and this is simpl- simplified for John Malcolm because I like simple, simple versions. Praise is like me making a statement to and about God, and worship is sometimes his response. Worship feels nice and comfortable and you get those, sometimes you're going to get that breakthrough moment. Praise feels uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever been in a praise and worship team. But, you know, standing on the front of church, jumping, clapping, smiling, all that sort of stuff, singing the words with all your heart, and the All Blacks have just lost. Oh, wow, that is an act of faith. Right there, it's an act of faith. But you see, praise is powerful. Now, I could quote Scripture on... Praise all day, but Psalm 146, 1 to 4. Praise the Lord, let all I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I shall sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people, for there is no help there for you. When they breathe their last, they will return to the earth, and all their plans will die with them. You see, right to our dying breath, we need to hold to praise. You see, what does praise do? Praise fixes our eyes on Jesus. Praise uh, redistributes the problem of self. It dethrones self because we stop looking at me and and my inadequacies and where my limitations are and how my giftings compare with the person next to me. And praise makes me focus on Jesus. It fills my vision on Jesus, the author and the perfecter. Uh, it, it, It fills me on the, fixes my eyes on the one who has already marked out the race before me so I know how to stay in my lane it fills my my ears with his response the well done good and faithful servant not the praise of other people which can be very fickle you know we're all loving on Richie McCall right now you imagine a different scoreline oh they're useless you know people their praise is pretty fickle See, if we fix our eyes on Jesus by praising him, it fills our, our vision with a big God. You see, here's the thing. We look at a problem. It can be tiny. It can be as small as my fist. But if I fix my vision on it, it soon ends up being bigger than this whole room. It clouds out everything else that God is doing. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We suddenly get a perspective change that although it may seem big compared with what other people are going through, we have a big God and a small problem. Praise. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Now, now, praise when we come together. Corporately, very important. Praise in your personal world. Very important. Focusing on Jesus. Lifting Him up. Remembering and reminding your soul to bless Him. To lift Him up. For He has done great things. He's done it in the past. He can do it again. He did it for the Israelites. He can do it for me. Praise fills your vision. It lifts your eyes to the hills to where do my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. Praise takes the focus of self and connects with the one who has the answer and is the answer. You see, if you struggle with insecurity about, am I significant? His death gives your life significance. <laughs> his call gives your life purpose. And his love gives your life value. If you fill your eyes, your vision, your mind with those things because you praise Him, insecurity starts to die. It's really hard to remain insecure when you're just not focusing on yourself. When you're focusing on him and his call and his love he has for you and the purpose you have in life in him, wow, what a difference. You see, the world in Dunedin City doesn't need a bunch of imitations. Meeting together on Sunday to try and look more and more like that other original, it needs a whole lot of originals. You and I are gifted uniquely, fearfully and wonderfully. You look at all the unique things biologically about you. Your DNA pattern, unique. Your fingerprints, unique. Your dental hygiene, unique. How many hairs you have on your head and the pattern they maintain, unique. Uh, And I've forgotten the name of this, but the pattern of your ear, unique. Fearfully and wonderfully made, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That my soul knows very well. Psalm 139 gives us that insight into David, how he could be secure in places where he should have been, by natural standards, insecure. Because he looked in the mirror, well, probably he looked in the really still bit of water on the ground, and he says, God, I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It wasn't an arrogance. It was someone who had dealt with their insecurities, had dealt with bits and bobs and questions over their, 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 their everything from their age and their significance in the family birth order and, and, and possibly even their uh, paternity or maternity. Dealt with all those things. I praise you, God. His death gives you significance. His call gives you purpose. And His love gives you value. When you fill your hearts and your minds with praise, the focus on Jesus takes the focus off self. A key to strangling and choking out insecurity. Here's the thing when people are secure, from a distance it looks a lot like arrogance. Because we know people who have, you know, when people are secure in who they are, it can look quite a lot like arrogance. And what I've learned to do through trial and error is not judge. Until I know the heart of a person. Because often we can look at the outside and go, oh, that person's just arrogant. And actually, they're not. They're completely humble. But they're just secure in what God's called them to do and who they are in Him. And so they're not seeking your approval. (laughs) We need to be a church that's secure. We need a church that is confident in who God has made them and who God has called them. They they are confident, they're secure in his love. If we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, we won't be secure in his love. If you're not secure in his love, how can we truly love as he loves us? If we've got this barrier of insecurity clouding us over. Paul had something he was insecure about. The Bible's silent on what it is. There's lots of opinions and commentaries about what it could be. But in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, he just talks about this in verse 8. He says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need, one version puts it this way. it says, my power works best in weakness. So this is what Paul said. So now I boast... I am glad, in fact, to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, this wasn't Paul talking about a sin. Okay, let's make that very clear. It wasn't a moral, uh, um, uh, an issue of immorality in his life. He wasn't justifying that. But in a weakness, and it could have been a a natural uh, proclivity to some sort of temptation. It could have been his eyesight, as some people would implicate. It could have been something else that we don't know. It could have just been the fact that he would have been brutally scarred all over his body and looked really, really disfigured because he'd been beaten with rods. He'd been stoned and left for dead. You know, you you don't kind of leave someone, oh, I think he's dead, when they look kind of perfect. And human when you've been throwing rocks at him for one minute. You keep going. If you I mean don't go there too far in your imagination, but you, you imagine what he would have looked like when the when his friends went and picked him up, because everyone else assumed he was dead because that couldn't be living. That thing there, that ain't human. It could have been an insecurity about how he looked. It could have been an insecurity about his hair, you know, how much hair he didn't have. We don't know. But it, God's response is amazing. My grace is all you need. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on so that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you know, maybe the thing you're insecure about is the thing that God wants to show often. The thing that you are, oh, well, this is just me. Well, you can't rely on your own interesting thing, can you? You know, it's when I think I've got this, (laughs) that's when we get into trouble. And when we're doing stuff we don't need God to do, that's when it can become the me, myself, and I show. Insecurity undealt with is an enemy. But people who overcome insecurity, who choke insecurity out, they will do great things. When, uh, they, will, they, will, they will be unafraid of intimacy. They'll be unafraid to stand out from the crowd when the crowd is saying one thing, we can't do this, this is too big, he's too big and strong. People who are secure will go, well, I reckon I can. I'm 13 and I'm described as ruddy. I don't know what ruddy means to you, but to me, that's not a compliment. Don't ever describe me as that, even if you think I look that way. I don't want to know. 13 or 12 or 15, this doesn't really matter. 16, ruddy, doesn't have armor, doesn't have battle training. Secure, hey, I've done what I've called to do so far, I'm in my lane. And right now, in the middle of my lane, is a giant. Now, that's the lane that God set for me, so for me to get where I need to go, the giant's got to get out of the way. I'm going to kill you, giant. I'm going to add insult to injury, and I'm going to take your sword and kill you with your own sword. You know, a 13-year-old boy disarming a giant. See, here's the thing. David was God, you're not even a man of battle. This giant has killed since he was a youth. So the same thing that's used to describe David, you're just a youth. But hey, if this giant has killed people since he's a youth, he had to start somewhere. I reckon I could do this. Security. What is in your life right now that you are not confronting because insecurity is undealt with? A great question to ask. Are there things that are growing, weeds in the garden, relationship problems, not confronted because you're insecure? What are things going on in your workplace right now that would be different if you're more concerned with God's approval than man's?